And this afternoon I would like to start with Pointer, one of these many glimpse practices in this approach. And that is, I already mentioned it, uh, the gap between thoughts. So this might be a helpful metaphor, it might not. The gap between two thoughts. Uh, meditating or becoming aware of the gap in transitions at the end of the outbreath. So different places where we can become aware of this gap. So this would be on a cloudy day, the sky breaks open, there's a gap, and you notice the sky. And then the gap closes again. But you have seen the sky, and you know that behind the clouds is the sky. Sometimes in in, for example, in the Zen tradition, also the element of shock is being used you know, through hitting or through uh, confrontational movements or words or sentences where there's suddenly this, this gap. The Cohen method is another one. I mentioned that these questions with the conceptual conceptual mind can't answer and you struggle and you struggle and then suddenly there's a gap. And in that gap that which one that which wants to reveal itself has the space to reveal itself. So your true nature, Buddha nature, has a space to reveal itself. Even only maybe for a millisecond. But once you have seen the sky, even only once in a lifetime, you know that it is there. So it's a game changer to have a glimpse into the sky. Not only reading in books that there's a sky and that it is blue and vast, yeah, but if you see it yourself, then you know it is there. And that insight will never leave you. So Lama Yeshe, in his book, uh, Transformation of Desire, his book on the introduction into Tantra, uh, he describes it like this. So Lama Yeshe writes, by, contemplate, by contemplating our stream of consciousness in meditation, so that's what we have been doing, contemplating our stream of consciousness. So that refers to the SEM level, to the conditioned level, to the content, the non-static, always flowing content. So by, contempl by contemplating our stream of consciousness in meditation, we can be led naturally to this spacious experience of non-duality. 
So I said before, sometimes it's not so obvious, but actually Buddhism is a non-dual tradition. And it is a mystic tradition. So all the books and all the studies and the 14s of this and the 6 of this and all that stuff, it's very precious. Uh, but it's all meant to lead us into the experience of non-duality. As we observe, observe our thoughts carefully, we will notice that they arise, abide, and disappear themselves. This is a strange thing that we can actually observe our thoughts. So there is one thing, and that's what usually happens, like we become our thoughts and we take them as, as something to listen to. Or, you know, so we read the content of our thoughts and we label mine, it's my thoughts, and that's why it's so important. And we bow, often we bow to all the crap which is coming there. So we read the letter, so we receive that letter, and there's our name on it, and we open it, and we say it's mine. But it is actually possible, it's not that easy, it's not usually the meditation object for beginners, but it is possible to observe your thoughts, to look them, to, to look straight at them, in the same way you would look at an apple on the table. Not by reading a book about consciousness, but by through introspection. So when we do that, when we look at our thoughts directly in this way, we are not interested in the content of the thought, we are interested in the substance of the thought. What is that phenomena of thought? What is it actually? What is it made of? Where does it come from? Does it come letter by letter, word by word? Is it just there completely? And what is it? What is it made of? And not, not thinking about these questions, but finding an answer through this to these questions by directly looking. For most people this is unimaginable. It's helpful in general to have a bit of a critical, investigative attitude towards the thoughts which appear in your awareness. So this is, we observe the arising, the playing out, and we observe the dissolving. There is no need to expel thoughts from our mind forcefully. 
just as each thought arises from the clear nature of our mind, so too does it naturally dissolve back into this clear nature. So as I said, in this practice we don't apply antidote towards thoughts. Like if you have the thought going on, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, and your method then is to generate another thought, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, and you write it everywhere, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, that would be applying, trying to apply an antidote towards a thought, which sometimes gives some relief, but it is a very uh, unsuccessful method usually. It maybe quietens the story, I'm not good enough, but it doesn't undermine the root causes for that thought. So here in the Mahamudra practice, or in the investigation of consciousness, of awareness practice, we just look at the thoughts. That's it. We don't argue with them or trying to change them or something. We just look at them. When thoughts eventually dissolve in this way, we should keep our mind concentrated on the resulting clarity as undistractedly as we can. So that is the meditation on the gap between thoughts. So the thought dissolves and there is a clarity. A presence. So this clarity, this presence, as I said yesterday, has nothing to do with having a clear mind or a stable mind or some or like a fresh mind or so that's we are not talking about that that relative clarity, that relative peace which might be there or not be there on the conditioned level of our mind. We are not talking about that. So when thoughts eventually dissolve in this way, we keep our mind concentrated on the resulting clarity. We train ourselves not to become encrossed in any of the thoughts continuously arising in our mind. Our consciousness is like a vast ocean with plenty of space for thoughts and emotions to swim about in, and we don't allow our attention to be distracted by any of them. It does not matter if a certain fish, like fish, one of the thoughts, like a fish in the vast ocean, is particularly beautiful or repulsive. Without being distracted one way or the other, we remain focused on our mind's basic clarity. Even if a magnificent vision arises, the kind we have been waiting years to see, we should not engage it in conversation. That's a bit difficult. I would say take some time to soak it in. Yeah, so 
it's fine. But of course, it is a problem if we become addicted to intensity, addicted to that kind of experiences. So we use spiritual practice uh, as a way to induce spiritual experiences. So that's a problem. But if something wonderful happens, I think uh, we. I think it's fine to engage with that, uh, at least for a few years. We should, of course, remain aware of what is going on. The point is not to become so dull-minded that we do not notice anything. However, while remaining aware of thoughts as they arise, we are not entranced by any of them. Instead, we remain mindful of the underlying clarity out of which these thoughts arose. So there is uh, this interesting relief uh, happening for some people who have this idea that meditation is about not having thoughts. Or kind of judging the quality of your meditation uh, in terms of how it felt. You know? So like, you feel peaceful, that's a good meditation. You feel anxious, that's a bad meditation. You have little thoughts, that's a good meditation. You have a lot of distraction, blah, 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 and that's a bad meditation. So from the point of view here, from this kind of practice, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's a distracted mind or a peaceful mind. It doesn't matter if a meditation feels good or bad. What we are curious about in this kind of meditation is the underlying clarity, which is aware of feeling good or feeling bad underlying clarity which is aware of being distracted or being peaceful. And that underlying clarity is fearless, is undistracted, is energetic, is awake. It can't be improved. It can't be poisoned. It, it, you can't train it. You don't need to train it. It is the, the discovery of something which already is so. So let's uh, play with this uh, pointer. And you can just experiment if there's something meaningful in this for you. And let's start as the other times with assuming our seat. Remembering that you are sitting on the sacred ground, the place where you will awaken. You 
the posture is the commitment of staying, of being loyal to your experience as it is, and your courage to touch and be with whatever arises. Then again, the shift from the head into the body, possibly supported by the in and out breath, in, embracing, sliding, dropping into the trunk of your body, and with the out breath, the quality of letting go, of lightness of dissolving we remind ourselves of the intention to wake up and to grow up to heal for the benefit of all Bodhicitta. And we open, surrendering to life as it is in this moment. And when you do that, there might be a bit of more spaciousness. Kind of the breathing space opens a little. Maybe the belly and the shoulders can soften a bit. And the tensing against what is happening relaxes. And then you can have a bit of an anchor to return to in case you get entangled in the inner dialogue, the hands or the breath, or the stillness, the vastness. Calling upon the presence of the Buddha, protection and inspiration, guidance, 
and then rest. So the next thought you're going to have, the next mental image, where does it come from? And you just look. Body stays relaxed, there's openness, a bit of breath awareness maybe still. But then, the next thought you're going to have, where will it come from? And you look straight there. Where does it come from, the next mental image, the next thought? And you look straight right there. So what could happen in that moment that there's actually no thoughts. And then you rest right there. In the underlying space. The underlying clarity. So the next thought you're going to have, where is it come from? Where is it coming from? And you look right there. And if a mental image appears, a thought, you see it arising and dissolving. And there's the gap. And we are talking about milliseconds here. So it's not about maintaining the gap or making it bigger or something like that. So it is a glimpse, a glimpse practice. So you have to repeat it. The next thought is going to arise. Where does it come from? And where does it dissolve back into? The gap between thoughts reveals the underlying clarity the underlying presence, the groundlessness.
the next thought, the next mental image which is, which is going to arise, where is that? Where is that thought? You can't know. You can imagine that it is somewhere in the brain, but where is it in your own experience? The next thought which is going to arise. Where is it in your own experience? Where is it? next thought you're going to have, where does it come from? And the experience of sounds around you, do they come from a different space? Are they happening in a different space? So sounds arise within your experience and thoughts arise within your experience. But would, where do they come from? Where do they arise from? Is this two different spaces? And then when they dissolve, either sounds or thoughts, as a gap. And the underlying clarity reveals itself. The underlying presence. So at the end of this sentence, which I'm started just now, so that what you're hearing, so at the end of this sentence, there's a gap. And the hearing of these voices, with this voice, the hearing of these words, where does that happen? Where is it? You can't know. You can't even say if it's inside or outside. And your thoughts around these words are they in a different place than the voice you hear? Or do these words and your thoughts arise from the same knowingness, from the same vastness, and then dissolving back into that same vastness?
and then you rest. Looking and resting. And you look directly at sounds, sensations, feelings and thoughts. And in the vast openness of this moment, you might become aware that they all arise from the same space and dissolve back into that space. And then you rest. We allow the underlying peace, the underlying stillness to reveal itself, surrendering, dissolving. And being that underlying clarity. So then we repeat again, stabilizing maybe with the breath, noticing the energy in your body, shifting, then look straight at thoughts. Next thought, which is going to arise, where does it come from? And then we transition out into a different kind of meditation. So you take your time. And bringing some awareness uh, into this moment that also the visual experience is an inner experience.
So, of course, it is valid to say you are in this room and in this city, wherever you are. But it is also valid to say the room and the city is in you. That, that might uh, help uh, uh, when you clean your room, because you realize that you're cleaning yourself. You're cleaning your mind by cleaning your room. So there has been maybe some questions. Ah, uh, no. That was about the, the little glitch. Yeah, but maybe there is a question you want to ask, something you struggle with, or you can just unmute yourself if you want. In the Tibetan tradition, most lineages hold the view that this kind of practice we just did is only possible after uh, you have calmed down the conditioned level of your mind. So in these teachings, you will often uh, hear the importance of shamatha practice. Yeah? Yeah, this is a very important question. It's in a way also the question that that what kind of dawns upon us, you, you see, you, you say feel, you don't see it, you feel it. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's one way to somehow uh, categorize that kind of experience. Yeah. See is, does, does not fit, but feel, uh, intui, intuition, you, to have a sense of. Uh, so we, we try to describe uh, this, this experience. And the question which naturally arises uh, in these moments is, is this the real thing? Or am I fooling myself? Am I just uh, you know, having some nice ideas or some images? And this is such an interesting open-ended question because nobody can tell you or, you know, uh, Most likely, uh, so when we when we have an experience which we would express like I feel something. Most likely, this kind of experience belongs still more to the dualistic level, to the experience level. Not necessarily, but it, most likely, and that's that's wonderful. I mean, it's it's really good uh, to have experiences like that. And they have a very beneficial effect on 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 our healing process, and and it will reduce our reactivity in daily life. So, uh, but it's 
probably still a bit of a dualistic experience. It's a bit like um, what I said about using an image like the vast sky. Then, and of course, the image of the vast sky and the memories of looking at the sky, all that is on the conceptual level. It's not a direct, non-conceptual experience of emptiness. It's still facilitated or expressed in symbols. It's not so. What we what we are wanting to have, well, yes. well what what uh, what is what 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 could reveal itself is a non-symbolic experience, a non-symbolic experience, a direct experience. And in that non-symbolic experience, there's nobody there experiencing that. So you, you, you wouldn't be able to say something like, well, I just experienced non-dual awareness because it is not like this. And when you say it, because you are kind of asked to say something about your experiences, and you say this sentence, it feels like it has a bad taste. It's like, it's like, so that's why some, a lot of people who have experiences of fundamental well-being, they just don't open their mouths about it. It's not, it's not worth mentioning. It's not happening to anyone. So why making a story about it and talk about it? And it's nothing. So, so that's the roaring silence within the Buddhist teachings. So, so what helps here in this, and it is an open, it is a journey, you know, to to come to a to a confidence, you know, like uh, on Friday. I quoted Ken McLeod saying, and confidence in the way arises. So that kind of confidence has nothing to do with an intellectual understanding. It's a, it's a different kind of confidence which slowly emerges. It's a bit like you might have listened to you know, non-dual teachings, you know, pointing out instructions, uh, you know, Advaita Vedanta teachings, stuff like that. Satsang, Mahamudra, Dzogchen. And you have listened to that and there is some intellectual understanding, but there's always this feeling, you, I, I have no idea what they are talking about. And suddenly that starts to change. Suddenly you hear the same words, you read the same poem of Malarepa or some Christian mystics, it doesn't matter. And suddenly a quiet confidence in, in the way is born. So you, you, you just, it's, it's like, let's say there is a subtle scent of a rose in the room and you just don't notice it. And Nobody points it out to you, and then someone comes into the room and, sa and says, "Oh, there is—it it smells like roses in here." And you 
ah, yeah, right. And I haven't noticed it, but you're right. There's, there is a subtle set. There is a confidence what you are talking about. It's something very subtle, but there is a confidence. And then you go into the other room and you notice, oh, it's also here. And in this case, you also go outside and you you realize it's it's also here. So all the mystic teachings, they become the same for you. And also, you start to just know if a, if someone talking about this is just doing parrot talk, you know, just memorized some slogans from the non-dual teachings, and they say the same words, but you know, it's just, yeah, okay, that's right, but uh, you have not earned the right to say these sentences. They are just parrot talk. Everyone can just parrot these words. But if someone says the same words who has a taste, then you will start to feel it. You will start to notice it. It's some, somewhere, somehow in the air. So a bit of a possibility uh, is when experiences arises, like there is suddenly a, an experience of heart opening, of spaciousness, of peace. Yeah, and, and so that's wonderful. And it's worth to soak it in and bathe in that. But then at one point, one can ask the question, what is aware of this? So you make a backward step. And then you see, ah, this is an experience. It's a wonderful experience, but it is still an experience. So you make the backward step. And then you pause. Maybe just a millisecond. So we are talking initially about, about short glimpses. So there is the gap, so to say. Now the gap between realizations. And then probably that will close again and maybe something even more wonderful, beautiful arises or something horrible. And you make a backward step into, the, into groundlessness. The backward step is actually also a step, strangely, it's also a step into the experience. Yes. And, you know, some lineages or some teachers, you know, they say things that kind of confirm uh, your, the validity of your experience. But that's also, I mean, it might help to develop that kind of confidence. That's true. So once there's like kind of symptoms which point to a validity of a non-dual experience. And that is the, for example, the 
the loss of the center position. So that means like you're standing by the beach and, and you know, we all have kind of moments or glimpses or approaching of that kind of experience. So you're standing by the beach, you're completely open and and the central position drops away and the ocean and the horizon and the sky are known where they are. They are not known from here. They are known where they are. There is no separation. And you wouldn't even be able to say, I'm one with everything, because there's no I. You could be one with everything. It's just that the appearance of the ocean or of the mountain or whatever is, and the knowing happens in the same space. It's the same thing. There's not an observer here and that what is being observed over there, but the mountain, the appearance of the mountain knows itself. There's no gap. In a contact with a person, that is something like a, an, an experience that the awareness which shines here and which shines there is one. That awareness looks at awareness and there's a, it's a meeting, there's a union. That doesn't take away that this body is another place than that body, but the experience. So you don't have the experience that in a conversation that you experience the whole scene from here, somewhere in the body, but the whole, the whole field is known from all direction and is consciousness. The whole thing is consciousness. One. For the narrative self, this is very challenging because in that moment, the problem of that person is your problem. The pain of that, that other person is your pain. So we can, we can uh, observe you know, this, uh, this, this contraction, then opening, contraction, opening. It, it's already happening. Another sign of uh, a genuine non-dual uh, experience is um, a non-identification with the thoughts, feelings, and sensations. So the word mine disappears because there's nobody there who could say mine. 